Thanks again to everyone supporting us on the podcast through Patreon. Patreon allows our listeners an opportunity to contribute to the podcast and allow us to bring you great guests and content each week. Thank you to all of our patrons and a special shout out to Jonathan Lambert for being our largest donor. You too can become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash mentors, the number four M-I-L. This podcast is sponsored by Uncana, trusted natural solutions. Uncana is a leading voice of advocacy for CBD in the veteran LEO and federal communities. Veteran owned and operated, the Uncana team is actively fighting for DOD access to CBD with political pressure, community support, and a simple message. Hashtag OpNatural. Uncana is vertically integrated with industry leaders from seed to sell, supplying premium small batch products to America's best. Use code mentors the number four MIL at checkout at uncana.com to receive your amazing discount. Read the Mentors for Military disclaimer at mentorsformilitary.com slash disclaimer. Mentors for Military Podcast. Welcome to the Mentors for Military Podcast. It's good having you on. Thanks. It's uh, it's good to be here. I appreciate you having me on here. I've seen your uh, other guests and stuff that you've had on, and I'm like, oh, geez, I don't know. <laughs> you've had some some studs on here, man. I don't know. So I'm uh, hopefully I, I can I can pull my own weight here. But you've had some some heavy hitters on here, so so I'm honored to be on. Thank you. Yeah, Brian, I think you're going to do just fine. Don't worry. Any, any friend of George is a friend of mine. I mean, George oh, and I. Good. You know, he yeah. George has been with us for. A couple of years, and of course, as we were just talking about, you know, he's busy all the time, and he never has uh, time to, to jump on this podcast because he's on like about four others. I think he's managing yeah. or either on and co-hosts and everything else, as well as his other life duties. But whenever he is yeah. on, it's always uh, enlightening. I want to get into a little bit about your background. We were just talking about the fact that you spent five years in the Marine Corps, and of course, you were a uh, sniper while you were in the Marines. But yes. you know, tell us a little bit about how it was that you came out, joined the Marine Corps in the first place. I mean, did you even check out the other services, or was that something that was family related? Well, yeah. So, so what it was is, my, my my dad was a Marine in Vietnam, and oh. then. Uh, but he didn't, you know, he thinks he didn't really raise us to be like pro-military or anything. It was very much you make your own way in life. But at the same time, at six years old, I was already in martial arts. Um, he had, we but before we could open up Christmas presents, we had a certain amount of, of push-ups, sit-ups uh, that we had to do. Like all the, so we had all the thing in there. I didn't know this the whole time, but I was basically being conditioned to go into the Marine Corps. Uh, but you know, fast forward, uh, I actually, after high school originally went to college for a couple of years, I went to university of Iowa. Um, but my freshman year was, uh, when nine 11 happened, I was actually just talking about this story. Obviously yesterday I went and spoke, I do some work with an organization called carry the load and they did a big thing at uh, about 40, 39 or 40 national cemeteries yesterday, all over the country. And we got volunteers out there, folks out there, and we just talked briefly about the day for a few minutes. And then we literally went and just cleaned headstones for a few hours. Wow. 
So just just to kind of pay it back to those people buried there that, you know, one little token of, hey, you know, you're you're not forgotten. Yeah, we'll carry on your name and and you physically get to come do that. And so it's just like a really carry the load has a bunch of cool stuff. They started with Memorial Day years ago, bringing back. They do a Memorial Day relay walk all across the country and uh, just to bring the meaning back to the day of what it's all about. So that that symbolic act, I think, was really, really cool. And everyone there just had such a great experience. And it was a beautiful day out here in San Diego, as usual. Well, so that, I, that helped. I was just getting ready to say, is there ever a bad day in San Diego? <laughs> I don't know that I've ever experienced one there. I mean, that whole yeah. coastline, for the most part, yeah. well, until you get up the north, you know, on the northern yeah. side of it, you'll get a little bit of mist and rain. And I guess you guys yep. get your, uh, well, in L.A. and stuff, you get the... Uh, or what do they call that? It's not called smog there. It's called something else. It's uh, well, well, down by us we have the marine layer. Marine layer. That's what that it had, is. Yes. People thought that had something to do with Camp Pendleton, the Marine Corps, right there. But it's actually <laughs> kind of unique. The way the bay comes, in, or excuse me, the way the the coastline comes in, the way it traps moisture is just during like we call it June gloom and May gray. You get like it'll just be gray all morning until it kind of burns off in the afternoon and and during those months it doesn't necessarily burn off but but then it's it's sunny all the time after that well then you have to worry about the fires yeah yeah so same thing by us not too bad although on pendleton you get them every once in a while 2007 was like the last real bad ones and we get certain fires in our area but those usually aren't right by us but uh we're kind of spared from that but not far from here you get some pretty big fires so especially inland county and then pendleton if someone burns a range down then half the base gets on fire lovely but but uh yeah but but, you know back to kind of what i was getting i was telling the stories that so 9 11 happened when i was a a a freshman in in college actually um ironically enough i was walking into my intro to american politics class my first semester there and the professor said hey we don't know what's going on but two planes just hit the world trade center and that kind of started it. And, and, you know, it took a while for my parents actually to get a hold of me. They were on a trip. They're on a vacation. They ended up having to, like, rent a car, drive across country. You know, the, everything was locked down. And my dad finally got a hold of me. And the first words out of his mouth were, okay, before you enlist, before you enlist, please, please just finish, finish school. And so I tried to for a little bit, but I didn't fit in. I always knew I wanted to do it. So I ended up, after two years there, enlisting in the Marine Corps. And literally, I didn't have like a lot of knowledge about it. I, you know, literally back then, just it kind of wasn't the the marketing and stuff wasn't out there. So I just get online and, you know, I, I said, OK, this like recon marine or sniper thing looks really cool. What is that? And I literally just walked into rec- I was the easiest person to recruit. I walked in and said, hey, look, uh, this is what I want to go do. You know, they had me take all the tests They're like, hey, man, like you can pick your job. I was like, no, I kind of want to go do do this. And they're like, OK. And then a few <laughs> months later, you know, I was I was I was in and uh, that kind of that kind of started it. So and then uh, from there, yeah, I did. Uh, I was in a well, did my first deployment to Iraq. 2004 and 2005 out in the Ambar province in Ramadi and then uh, as just an infantry marine and then came back and immediately took the selection process went in for to, to be a sniper in a state platoon went through schools went through more schools uh, we did a mew I got attached to a reconnaissance uh, platoon at the time and it was funny enough I had to go through what was then called SOTG for the urban sniper courses and and urban reconnaissance and surveillance courses over in Okinawa and went through that and then I was a team leader in the sniper platoon, and then I also, they didn't have enough snipers over there in their the amphibious reconnaissance platoon, so I doubled it, it duty basically as, as a sniper in one of those teams. And, 
you know, the way the world works is uh, that was in uh, Bravo Company, Third Recon Battalion. So once again, I called up my dad and said, hey, uh, guess what? I'm in your old unit. He was in Bravo Company, Third Recon Bat in Vietnam. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. And so once again, my dad be my dad. Just, well, if you stay out of the areas I was in, you should be fine. <laughs> uh, that's great. So, yeah, that 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 was kind of uh, – and then did another deployment as a, as a sniper as well. And then I was just in that, you know, back-to-back-to-back to back to back training, deployment, training, deployment, training. Like the joke was with us is like people were like, hey, they say like when you're, you know, young in the military, you don't have a lot of money, you don't get paid much. We're like – we always have money because we don't ever get to go out yeah, and spend it. You're right. Didn't get that's so, awesome. So that was kind of that was kind of that, and then um, that started the military. Then uh, I I, I kind of wanted a, just a little break, you know. Back then, I, I don't know if you can still do it now, but they had it where you could be out for up to a year, and then basically come right back in. You keep your time in grade for your rank actually still accumulates, I think, and then your time in service. Obviously, there's a break, but you can come. Right back in. That was my plan. I got a, but I ended up getting a job on Camp Pendleton, um, you know, and as uh, at the what was called, what was still called the Infantry Immersive Trainer, and it was a brand new facility just built. It was actually originally General Mattis's idea before he was uh, even in charge of one map at the time. He wanted to do it, you know, even before the war started. Was hey, I want like you know, uh, a facility built. Uh, uh, to complete a completely immersive environment so that a Marine's first firefight is no worse than his last training evolution. Mm. So they built it uh, in some land up in San Mateo area out in the old strawberry fields for anyone familiar up there right by San Clemente and uh, on, on Pendleton, of course. And, and I got hired as a, one of the tactics subject matter experts and one of the lead guys there. And the idea was coming up with completely immersive training scenarios. So they built it to look like, you know, Iraq, Afghanistan. Uh, they would hire the role players to come in. They literally had scent generator generators in there to make it smell bad. And, you know, you'd go through different type of, uh, of training exercises to evaluate, you know, making good decisions under stress. You know, it was all simunition. I mean, we had more sim rounds there than you could possibly imagine. We literally, they, they allowed us, they broke every rule, I think, on base. But they, they because our, the director of the facility was an old um, uh, medevac pilot in Vietnam who's been shot down more times. Like, I think he's working off his debt to the Marine Corps because he was shot down so many times. Great guy, but he, him and Mattis were buddies when they were lieutenants, so he picked him, you're gonna run this facility. And then, so we had carte blanche. We literally, they put a safe in there so we could have like, you know, 20,000 sim rounds in there. So it was just, you never ran out. And it was just go, go, go. Brought in, you know, all these folks from um, uh, Office of Naval Research, Pacific Science and Engineering, you know, big brain, uh, you know, to, to study it, do testing on everyone, the effects of cortisol and what you can do and how you can limit it. Human performance studies is really, really cool. It actually like was an unbelievable, I, I got to be a part of something that was actually huge. It was called the Fight JCTD, uh, Future Immersive Training Environment joint capabilities technology demonstration so they're trying to integrate newer technologies in there with and it was just like a really really cool thing to be a part of and then it worked well uh, what we were part of was the proof of concept and they built an even bigger facility right out there literally like right next to this this shed it was an old uh, tomato and strawberry packing plant that they built it in and then they built an outdoor facility after that but i got involved in that that you know was was really cool, but it was going through stuff in personal life. I got married kind of young and then that didn't work out. So I ended up not going back in the Marine Corps and started, uh, doing a lot of, 
just security contracting overseas, mostly for State Department. And that opens up once you get into that world, it kind of opens up all kinds of things. You meet people, you get to go do different projects and stuff. And then um, that's actually when when I was at the IIT, I met uh, Greg Williams, uh, my now business partner, originally back in like 2008 or something. And he's the guy who wrote the Combat Hunter program for the Marine Corps. And then what became the Advanced Situational Awareness Training Program for the U.S. Army, it became a program of record for both. He did all the human behavior piece to it, all the human behavior profiling, combat profiling, which what it was originally called. And so he was doing that. Anyone back in the time went through those courses. If you went under Greg, they will absolutely remember it. Um, but it was a huge hit. And then I went and did my thing. And then I kept running into Greg all over the world. So whether that's Iraq or Afghanistan, like literally like finally in about 2012, uh, we ran into each other again in Afghanistan. He's just like, hey, man, uh, someone, whether it's God, Allah, Buddha, Vishnu, someone's trying to get us together here. So why don't you just come work for me? And I was like, "Okay." I finished out the rotation I was on and then started uh, working directly under him, getting trained in what we call uh, human behavior pattern recognition and analysis. So that's a scientific term for something that all of us actually already know how to do. You're, you're, you're born knowing how to read human behavior. It's just no one ever teaches you a lexicon. No one ever gives you words to describe what it is. And then, and they don't give you a, a template or, or an analytical framework to analyze it. Right. So Think back to when you were a little kid, you know, whoever raised you, mom, dad, aunt, uncle, grandma, grandpa, whoever it was, you know, you were four years old and they walked in the room before they said a word, you knew that they were angry or happy or whatever. You, you knew that. Right. So so it's an intuitive skill set. And then once you kind of get into that world, you know, it then opened up my eyes to a lot of things and I started studying and researching everything that he wrote and he told us. And then I went, oh, my gosh, there is no end to this. I could literally do this and and study this the rest of my life and I'll never know everything. I'll never get bored. So it just kind of hooked me. It stuck it stuck in with me. And then so I've been doing that since 2013. Uh, originally under another company, we branched off uh, a couple years ago cuz uh, their programs got really big in in the army. We went over to that with anyone who's been through advanced situational awareness training or the soft version of that, or the SEALs version of that, or whichever version, you know, I got to do a lot of cool experiences. And then, I mean, even to the point where we did a suicide prevention course for the Army up at Fort Lewis when when they were having a really, really hard time with that. And we made some headway. We did a sexual harassment, sexual assault prevention. So the whole purpose of understanding and doing all this is, is preventing an attack, right? Preventing a catastrophic event. So you know, school shooting, no matter what, there's always pre-event indicators and, and there's kind of different reasons why we don't pick up on them or we pick up on them. We don't attribute value to them or, you know, and the reason why we call it human behavior pattern recognition and analysis is because that analysis part is where most people get it wrong, right? So human behavior pattern recognition, we, we can all do that. We all set patterns. We get up at the same time. We drive the same way to work, all that stuff. It's just where it comes in is the analysis part, and that's that's kind of where where it gets gets uh, um, you got to get real scientific with it, and scientific in the terms of just how you analyze and process information. It's still a very intuitive skill set. So, so we 
that's what I've then been dedicating my life to for the last six, seven years now. I don't, I'm not even sure it's been a blur. <laughs> so what was Greg's background then before you guys uh, hooked up? So, so Greg was, uh, he originally army, he was a soldier in the army. He got to work with some, uh, it, I mean, this is years, uh, probably late seventies, early eighties, got to work with some of the kind of newly forming, uh, high level units that, that were just kind of coming of age sort of back then. Mm -hmm. And then he, uh, he, he got out and became, he went back to Detroit where he was from and became a police officer in Detroit metropolitan area for, you know, 15, 20 years or so after that. And he was developing this stuff that whole time, right? So he had a knack for it and then just started researching and doing it. He taught sociology at a few of the colleges there, taught at the police academies. And a lot of it was originally, you know, very kind of almost like martial arts, street fighting, what a lot of people do now and have become a little bit more common practice. He was doing this stuff kind of you know, like he, he says, man, I was I was wandering around a dark factory at night and I stumbled upon Pandora's box. And once I looked inside there, I couldn't ever see the world differently. Right. So he related it all back to human behavior and that became to where people said, hey, like this human behavior stuff is this is where we're, we're catching all the bad guys. Right. That using this skill set, this is where we're finding out who these predators are. This is how we're busting felons. Like, what well, what is this? And so it kind of developed from there. He's always been a. Uh, subject matter expert for the DOD and intelligence community for years. Um, you know, very kind of, he, he it was always usually at the very high level units. And then he was like, no, this is something that everyone can get. And then that's kind of the first time it got out of those areas into the conventional forces was with the, the combat hunter program. And then, um, the, there was a couple Marine, uh, lieutenants who wrote the book left of bang, which is, on his program. So they wrote it about his program. So they got out of the Marine Corps and wrote a book about his stuff and it did real well. And it, you know, it's, I, I think they still do speaking tours or something, but, but you know, that, that, so it's all the information's out there and we're just kind of just doing it on a smaller, well, not a smaller scale, but just, just with us now, not underneath a, a larger company. So tell us what you kind of get out of the combat hunter program or even the advanced situational awareness for those who haven't attended or might be listening to this. Yeah. I mean, if they were to go into that type of program, what can they expect? Okay. So what it does is, is we like to call it as kind of unlocks your brain, right? It, and, and up armors your brain. So, so we all love, you know, going to the gym and working out. We all love going to the range and shooting guns, but, but that that's not going to get us, better at uh processing our environment right so so the more i practice on the range i get better at that skill set but but would doesn't really teach me well well when do i shoot what is happening what is it that i'm seeing so it's very very heavy on just observational skills and taking your knowledge right so you two right now have a ton of knowledge and experience that you've gained through every interaction you've had whether that's at home on a deployment it doesn't matter right so, so all we do is we take those, we call those file folders, your experiences and, and explain it to you, right? So this is, this is what we're talking about. So, so you have a toolkit to do predictive analysis and go, all right, what is it about this situation that I'm seeing? You know, and, and, and you know, it gets into what people call situational awareness, which is a term that I, I, it just gets thrown out a lot. Mm -hmm. No one really defines it very well of what that is, you know, and they tell us, Hey, keep your head on a swivel. Right. Hey, if you see something, say something. Well, that's a great tagline, but what, what am I supposed to see? And, and who am I supposed to tell? And when I have my head on my swivel, what am I looking for? 
And then it gets into a lot of folks come up with, all right, hey, these are the five things you need to look for or, or and especially, all right, so, so Scott, like you as an EOD guy, right? So you'll go in and brief guys like, hey, look, these are the types of IEDs we're seeing. Here's the components. This is what we do. And, and I've had great classes from EOD guys, but then you're walking the street or driving your truck and like, well, wait. How is that going to help me find it? So we use the human aspect of it, right? So so a bomb doesn't put itself together, right? It takes a human being to do that. Well, will an IED emplacer put a IED in the same spot more than one time? It, it, absolutely, they will. Uh, they, they will because if it worked once, they'll do it again. Now, when I say the same spot, it might not be that same exact intersection, but it's going to be prototypically the same. Right. So maybe it's going to be on certain access areas. Maybe there's certain certain uh, things within that terrain that will kind of give that away to where you can go instead of looking at, you know, a thousand places where this could potentially happen. I can narrow it down to, well, here's the five or six more likely you know, places, just like observing a crowd of people. All right. I'm looking at a thousand people, man. It's a lot to take in. So if I can understand how to break down this crowd and understand how they're interacting with each other, doesn't matter where I'm at in the world, I can then go, oh, wait a minute, those three guys over there or that one over there and that one over there, they're giving themselves away through functional field of view and, and, and proxemic linking, right? So once I understand that, then I go, well, I don't need to worry about all this, this noise over here. Here's the signals I need to look at. And then now it just makes, makes my world that much easier to comprehend. And that's kind of a good way to describe it. It's like, how do you, how do you, you know, it's like asking someone to explain to me real quick in, in, in two minutes, the internal combustion engine. It's like, all right, well, (laughs) you put gas in a car and it goes, right. Where do, where do I start with that? Right. But, but the whole idea is to get you to process your environment faster. Right. And that's goes back to literally what, what John Boyd was talking about with the OODA loop, right. Observe, orient, decide, act. So we've all heard that in our military career, likely. Most people have heard the OODA loop, right? Well, well, what people don't understand is like, okay, that seems really simple. Uh, if I observe a situation, because he was a fighter pilot, so his whole thing was if I can observe my en- the enemy fighter, all right, I can orient uh, my plane in his direction, I can make a decision and then act on that decision, that loop if I can do that faster than the enemy, well, then I'm going to win. I'm going to win every time. That doesn't, that, and that, if you're an MMA fighter, that's the same thing, right? Well, that sounds really simple, but what Boyd was talking about was, I mean, literally the, the second law of thermodynamics. He was talking about math. He was talking about evolutionary biology. He was talking about physics. So he took all these like very, very complicated scientific um, uh, explanations and, and then boiled it down to a little, hey, it's the OODA loop. Okay. You know, and there's different systems out there, but but that's kind of what it is, is you already have the skill set. And, and if I just, that having an unconscious awareness, as we call it, meaning once I flip that light switch on and you have a little bit of the training, it's like that operating system running in the background. So now instead of you having to, all right, I got to go out and look and find the bad guy, it's just going to pop up in your environment. You're going to go, hey, that guy's out of place. There's an anomaly in the baseline. I need to investigate what that anomaly is. 99 out of 100 times, it's, it's nothing serious, right? Or it's something to take note of and move on. But every once in a while, it's that, it's that oh, wait, I'm looking at a pre-event indicator to some future event. And that's where I may need to step in to help mitigate that situation, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, Scott, I'm curious. Is there anything that you guys do over there that's very similar to this type of program? No is probably the honest answer. I, do, I think we spoke about this a, a 
couple of times before. I don't think the British military is, is very forthcoming when it comes to things like this. I mean, I'm, I've been out a long time now, so I've been out 15 years now. So certainly in my day, there was nothing like this, you know, and we was involved the early days in Northern Ireland conflicts and things like that. Things yep. like this would be phenomenally useful tools uh, in terms of awareness of people around you. Um Fast forward, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq and, and those type of conflicts. Again, seeing what people are doing around you in an area is a good indicator into, you know, whether it's relatively safe or something's going to go down. So I, I genuinely think it's unbelievably interesting, Brian, what you're talking about. <laughs> I've just been sitting here for the 15 minutes just wanting you to keep going on and going on and going yeah. on. Well, I can, so be careful. <laughs> well, you know, and, and we think about that when we go in, you know, we're in Afghanistan and we're going to even the frequent places that we go all the time. We The thing is, we never want to be comfortable. You have to always look and see, was that guy there yesterday? Was this, you know, happening right. there? If they told you to, you know, we're going to meet at this specific uh, location, a restaurant or something of that nature, why is that guy who's always working no longer working today? Where, you know, what's yes. going on? It's picking yes. up those types of things. And and I'll, I'll I'll give you I don't and Scott I don't know if you ever heard of the there was a program that they modeled after Combat Hunter I think called Ground Sign Awareness I don't know that was something similar over there that yeah, that, yeah. that I know the Brits did something like that but but it's exactly what you're talking about Robert and 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 don't just think too is is because especially as military guys and then same thing with them law enforcement they always think on the job or here it's like well this is something every single day. Like if you've got kids, you've been able to pick up when they're lying to you. Okay, well, well, that means you can do it with, with anyone that you meet, right? You just need to learn on on what the what the indicators are given the context of the situation, right? And and I always give one right back here. You know, you how many times do we see on the news or read something that like a gas station or convenience store gets robbed? Happens all the time. But but when's the last time you guys when you were pulling into a gas station, you did a full lap? right around all the pumps then you stopped at your pump and before you got out of your car you looked in through the windows of that gas station or that convenience store to see what was going on before you stepped foot in there and that's what we're talking about that alone right there you can go oh wait a minute what's that guy doing why is he trying to cover up his face why is he wearing a sweatshirt it's warm out what 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 signs am i seeing that's that's likely leading to danger and and the, the whole point is a lot of times and and this is with military law enforcement all of us is human beings are you know they they can be um a contributing factor to their own homicide or to their own crime, right? And, and I'm not trying to victim blame anyone, but but there there's certain things that we can do on our own just to make yourself a little bit smarter, a little bit stronger, you know, a little bit harder to kill, right? You're just what do bad guys look for? I don't care whether you're a criminal, terrorist, insurgent. They they all set patterns the same way. They all follow a process. They don't you know do it on a checklist. They might not have been taught that, but but human behavior dictates that they're going to follow a certain set of, of, of processes, right? And and they're going to go after what kind of target? Do they want to go after that big, bad, hard target? Not necessarily, man. They want to go after a weaker target. So mm-hmm. so just by by up armoring your brain and going, well, I'm going to look situationally where it's like. One of the one of the things that uh, that uh, this is Greg did when they were putting all these folks together, and remember this is back in like oh five oh six or two thousand four or five six. All that where I mean, 
you know, Marine soldiers, sailors, airmen uh, all over the world, were, we, they're, they're dying, right? We, we were he- involved in, in heavy conflict at that time, especially in Iraq. And it's like, you know, they brought this working group of folks together and said, well, what can we do like right now? What can we do right now to, to, to do something? And it was, hey, send over a pair of binos to everyone that you can. So then you had Marines, instead of just walking around a corner, they'd pop out, put a pair of binos up and scan. Okay, that right there, if I'm a bad guy and I'm trying to not get caught, what do, what are what's going through his mind right there? Oh man, they're looking out for me. They see me. I'm out of here, right? Or I'm gonna go find someone else. Now that marine might not have seen anything, right? They might not have known anything that was going on. But but that small act alone is enough to go. Now they have to react off of me instead of me reacting off of them. Now now they, instead of walking into an ambush, I can I can see some of those those pre event indicators uh, before they arise. And and I always give a good one. We we've taught EOD. Uh, classes and I love teaching guys like EOD guys or or tough groups like like a SEAL team or something because it's if you don't prove that that you're worthy to be standing there you know talking to them then they're just not going to listen and sometimes they'll just get up and leave which oh, I sure. love that challenge yeah and uh, and and so with EOD guys when we'd start talking about IEDs they'd start going down the rabbit hole it's like well no technically that blast will do it. and I'm like look guys I'm not <laughs> I'm not an EOD expert Scott. you are. <laughs> yeah, but but the whole thing was like I, I I do human behavior. So so will a bomb maker make his bomb the same way every time? Yeah, a lot of times will they start to leave st- certain signatures in the way they do it, not just the way they do it, but the materials that you use. Okay, so what does that mean for like an intelligence cell uh, in that area? Well, okay, well I don't need to go look for the whole thing put together. Where are they getting those things from? Okay, well, man, this is a non-permissive environment, and there's a lot of fighting going down here. Well, who in the village, who in this area has lines of communication? Hey, this guy's got a shop. He's got batteries. He's got this from all over the world. He's got, okay, well, that means he's got access to, to the same things that, that a bomb maker needs. Now, he might not be a bad guy, but he might be supplying a bad guy. So now if I just watch that area and I can go, hey, who's coming in and buying this? Hey, who's doing this? You know, then I can start to go, oh, now I see where they get the materials from. Right. So we break down like like a bomb into its components. So the same thing, a, a good one, just since you're on here, uh, Scott, like, you, you know, the the same the same things you need to make uh, TATP, right? Triacetone triperoxide, right? Highly, highly volatile explosive, um, you know, used a lot uh, for a while. I know in Afghanistan and Iraq and different areas, if I'm not mistaken, but but it's something that's used, right? Because I can, you, 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 if you got hydrogen peroxide at your house, you can you can make it. I'm not going to tell you how, but man, you're probably going to kill yourself in the process. But but if you don't know what you're doing, but but the the same things I need to make that is is the same thing I need to make. Um, like methamphetamine and crack cocaine. I need a double boiler, right? So if I'm going to reduce something like triacetone triperoxide to get that product, I need a large pot with water in it boiling. And then I take my other pot and I put, put all my ingredients in there and then I control it in that water and not put it on direct flame. Because if I put it on direct flame, just like your grandma heating up chocolate, like you're going to burn it. So I need to make a double boiler. Okay. So I also need a lot of venting and cooling, right? Stuff like that. Because all those noxious fumes coming off there, if I breathe that in, I'm going to hurt myself. So, so now I'm walking into that village and I need to look at, hey, that's a really large venting and cooling unit for that building. That doesn't fit the baseline for what I see here, right? And now I, using those type of indicators is how I can I stumble across that, those kind of things. And, and it's just making sense of your environment. So we literally teach sense-making, problem-solving, adaptability, resilience. That's it. 
So, but we just break it down onto how to actually do it. And it's, it's fun and it's exciting and everyone's got a story. And usually it is, you know, when we get in there, it's, Hey, why didn't I have this earlier in my career? Or, or how did I not know about this program? And because we used to call it, it's the greatest program you've never heard of. Because <laughs> people were like, what is this? I could have done this. Or you're telling me stuff that I saw and my buddy died in this situation. If I would have known that, we wouldn't have walked in that area. And I'm like, I, I got all the same stories, brother. That's, that's, that's why I do it. You know, it's, if, we can, if we can prevent someone from getting killed, then, then that, that's the goal. That's, that's the ultimate goal here. And it's possible. Well, like you said, this even boils down to local law enforcement. I mean, if yes. they had the funding, which typically that's part of the issue, they're able to it get is. a lot of the uh, additional training that's available out there to make them much more aware. And and and, and this isn't a knock on law enforcement. It just, it, but what what did we go with? All right, hey, we got these these tier one dudes started a company and they're traveling around doing rifle carbine courses. That sounds like fun. I can get my department to approve that. Absolutely. Sure. And that's awesome. And different fighting stuff. And, and that's great. And and law enforcement tactics, techniques, procedures have gotten a lot better, right, uh, over the years on how they deal with this stuff. Because initially they were unprepared to handle the threats that were facing them, right? And then they realized, oh, wow, we need to train our, change our training. And, and you'll see stuff. I always see, you know, you got YouTube videos. Uh, the, the the reason I we we do law enforcement a lot or talk about a lot is because they have they've got footage of everything, right? They've always they're always on camera, whether it's dash cam or body cam. So it's great for after action. But you'll see what there was one that came out earlier this year, I think, where the so uh, it was a female officer uh, alone, middle of the night, pull the guy over, you know, and I'm wa- you're watching this video, and then she went around the passenger side, and then she went around the uh, the the driver side. And as she came over there, he pulled a gun out and shot and she pulled her. She was able to draw her pistol uh, and kill him there. She didn't get hit. And I mean, she, her training kicked in. Right. She didn't made the right call. And everyone. Hey, man, that that's awesome. The training kicked in. There's this. And what we go is like, look, she came. She was one millisecond away from dying and bleeding out on the side of the road that night. And she missed every single indicator leading up to that event. They were sticking out like a, a sore something a sore thumb right so so they they were all glaringly obvious and and if you don't have that training you're not going to be able to see that before you get up to it and and it also goes the opposite uh, other way in terms of when you get law enforcement you know there's famous video i don't know if you guys have seen it or some of the listeners have of uh same thing you know late night um police officer by himself pulls a guy over he gets out he's telling him hey sir get back in get back in he reaches into uh, the bed of his truck, mind you, this man's 85 years old, pulls something out, officer starts engaging, starts shooting. He was pulling his cane out of that vehicle so he can come back and talk. But you got to understand how the brain works and understanding heuristics and to go, what do you think that law enforcement officer was thinking? Well, he was taught by his FTO, hey, the scariest time, the you know, most likely time you're going to get killed is you're going to be a one-man patrol car. It's in the middle of the night. It's going to be someone's going to get out with a gun, right? So they had that training scenario where a guy gets out with a gun. So what did this guy see? He saw a gun. He's not lying when he said, I saw him pull out a gun. He is absolutely not lying because his brain went, that's cognitively close enough to what I'm expecting to happen. Therefore, it happened, all right? Because we never balance it with what we call the most likely and most dangerous course of action. So most dangerous course of action is, yeah, your guy pulls a gun out and starts shooting at you. All right, well, well, what behavior am I seeing that would lead me to that conclusion? And if you look at anything that happened, there was nothing there to show that that was likely going to happen. But but he didn't have that training. He didn't know that. So, so therefore, he made that decision. And now 
I, I mean, I didn't you know, do the backstory on him and what happened and everything, but you, you think he feels good about himself after that? He's, mm-hmm. His life and career are ruined, and he's probably a good officer. It's not a bash on him. Yeah, so, um, it's, so, and sometimes these things can be, like you just said, milliseconds. I mean, it's a decision that you've mm-hmm. got to make on the fly. Uh, but, you know, they right. a lot of these officers, if they get the opportunity, they go through the training where they're actually able to slow things down. they got pop-ups that come up or whatever yep. so that they can understand you have to take at least enough time to assess the situation and make a decision. Now, in these cases that you just described, it was very unfortunate that, um, you know, once your adrenaline kicks in, then yep. everything's going to move at a different that, rate of speed and that, you're going to react much differently, you know? Right. And that you, 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 you hit it on the head and, and what it is is slowing time down. So how do you slow time down? Well, you can't, you can't change the distance, right? We, we ideally we want time and distance, right? The more time and distance I have from a threat or potential threat or issue or problem, the more time I have to plan, prepare and make a better decision. Well, how do I, if I'm this, you know, example of a law enforcement officer pulling someone over how do i how do i gain that time and distance well if i can increase my cognitive ability up here right to to process the environment faster and process it with a most likely and most dangerous course of action well well now i'm actually slowing time down because i'm making better decisions right and it goes back to what 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 general mattis used to say right the most important six inches on the battlefield is between your ears and he would point to his head and say you better learn to exercise this before you ever do this, before you ever pull the trigger. And that's what we're getting at. And that's, there's, there's ways to do that. And we, you know, there's, there's the, the, you can, you can, we can all learn how to do it. And then it just makes you more aware of your environment, right? Situational awareness, right? If I, if I, if I'm more aware of my environment, well, it's not just a skill set for the cop on the beat or the, the guy, you know, going down range in the military. It's, it, this is going to make me a better husband, a better father, right? A better person, because now I'm seeing everything and in, in for what it is and attributing value to the right situations versus the wrong ones. Brian. It's such a valuable tool, Brian. And, and yeah. you know, it was something uh, Robert said earlier really should be taught from, you know, day one, week one, basic training and right the way through. Right. You know, your brain again is a muscle that needs training and working. But do, do you think there's, there's, you, you mentioned it earlier, a, a Pandora's box with, once you've opened that, you can't go back on it. And you hear so often now about people who, particularly with mental health issues and how they struggle mm-hmm. with burnout and not being able to switch off from something. And, yep. you know, guys who, who go into a restaurant and they, they've got yep. to know where all the exits are and sit, they yep. can't sit with their back towards anything. And how do, how does that come into this? That's it's a that's a great question. Great question. And so what you're talking about is what a lot of guys experience is, is hypervigilance, right? Mm-hmm. So what happens if I go around and I think everything's a potential threat and that guy could have a gun and that guy could have a knife and I got to know what's going on around me at, at, at all times, that leads to hypervigilance, right? So one, you can't physiologically or psychologically sustain that over time. You, you just can't. You get exactly what you said. You start to get burned out, start to have mental health issues about it. So, so how, how, do you, how do you avoid that? Because scientifically speaking, that hypervigilance, you're, you're actually, if you go through your environment thinking everything's a potential threat and looking at it that way, and then never, nothing ever happens to you, and you never pick up on one, you never actually see a threat, it, that's called a, a non-event feedback loop. So your brain stays in that loop, 
And then you're training your brain to go, as long as I do this, I'll be fine. When in fact, you'll actually, you're more likely to miss those pre-event indicators because you're conditioning yourself that way. So how do you avoid hypervigilance? That's why we teach what we call informed awareness, right? So what is informed awareness? So guys go, oh yeah, you got to know the exits and this person and what's going on. It's like, okay, well, well, one, uh, walking into any restaurant, pub, wherever you're at building and figuring out where the entrances and exits are, that's, that's not very hard to do. That's, com- that's basic level. All right. Yeah. I know there's an exit back there. Uh, generally there's an exit in out every kitchen in every restaurant. Uh, there's usually going to be something here. So you can establish stuff like that is, is pretty easy to do, but that just takes a little walk through and to look around. And then you got to take your environment in for what it is. You know, mo- most things are what they seem. Um, so if you, either you had an experience where like you're with your wife or girlfriend or, or your wife and your girlfriend, if you got one of those relationships, whatever it is, uh, uh, and you sat there and you've looked at like a couple and you've gone, oh man, they're on their first date, right? Or, or those people are kind of having an argument or, or man, those people have been married a really long time, right? You can start to identify those things. So, so then I just go to the next level. Well, what is it about that situation that, that draw, that drove you to that conclusion, why did you get to that conclusion? And then once you start to learn, you go, oh, well, I saw the way they were acting. You could tell the guy was nervous and she was uh, only ordered a salad. You know what I mean? Like, and, and the, you know, certain things where, where over time, you know, the longer you're with someone, the longer you're married, all those barriers and walls start to break down. I'll give you, you know, a great example. If you ever seen like, um, I do a lot of shopping at Walmart because I go to all the military towns, usually a lot when I was doing a lot of traveling, right? And you'll see in there like like the young uh, uh, privates or lance corporals or whatever, and like they got their girl with them, maybe, you know, serious girlfriend or whatever, and they're basically like pushing the cart together and looking into each other's eyes and doing everything together and holding each other. And then, then what, you know, that was all, that was us, right? When, when you first start dating or when I first started dating my wife, I walk into a bar, my arms around her shoulder and I look around, Hey, she's with me, you know, making sure everyone knows you got to get through me if you want to come talk to her. Right. So what happens over time? So go back to that Walmart. All right. So over time it's, you know, then you go in there and your wife and you're like, Hey, I'm going to go hit this section. I'm going to grab this stuff. You go grab that stuff. So we're not, you know, in here too long. Right. And then even years after that, like you're, you know, walking into Walmart and she's walking out and you're going, I didn't know you were going to the store. What, what happened? We didn't communicate that together. Right. It's, it's called so relationship. Are, uh, yeah. We're, we're giving yeah, exactly. relationship guidance here. So right. And, and that's how it works. That's, that's normal human behavior. Right. Sure. So that's just a baseline. So then you start to just compare things in the baseline. So the, the, for you guys and for the listeners, right? So you can right now walk out and remember this, uh, bad B plus a equals D. All right. So baseline plus anomaly equals decision. So all I do is figure out what's the baseline for the situation that I'm in. Right. So, so, you know, you think about wherever you work, uh, uh, you know, Monday morning, the baseline is very different than Friday afternoon, right? (laughs) The attitude is different. The atmosphere is different. Uh, the times that people show up and leave are very different, uh, whether they're not in a hurry or anything, all that's different. So that's just constantly sampling your baseline and your brain's already doing a lot of this for you in the background. Right. And then I just look for anomalies. All right, well, what's here that shouldn't be here or what isn't here that should be here. So things that are above and below that baseline. And, and once I start to find those anomalies, I can detect a pattern, right? I'm detecting, I'm picking up on something. Oh, this must be different because, oh, you know what? 
yeah, the uh, the the boss passed like some bad news about no one's getting any raises or something. That's why I look for explanations or why these anomalies exist. And once I have three or more anomalies, I'm I'm observing a pattern. Now, obviously, if the situation I see a guy pull out a gun, I don't need to wait for more anomalies. It's very obvious that there's a situation here. But once I get three or more, I have to I have to make a decision, and I can investigate it. And we always do that. All right. I, you know, we used to always teach the, the, you know, to the military was kill, capture, contact, right? Kill was always first because, hey, I got to be ready on that. I'm in a high threat environment. You know, here in the U.S., you, you probably shouldn't be kill, but, but I can at a minimum contact and ask someone a question. I can report what's going on here. I can take a mental note and say, these are the things I noticed, right? I need to pass that forward. Maybe I need to go to that next level and get someone else involved. Maybe I need to call the police or talk to the store manager because I'm observing these things. But the best thing to do is just continue to observe. All right, well, what else fits this baseline? This guy is standing off, uh, not in line with everyone else, who keeps looking at the cash register and then looking at the door and then looking at the cash register and then looking at the door. And then, you know what? I noticed a vehicle backed in with a guy in the driver's seat with the engine running when I was walking in. Now I'm looking at a possible most dangerous course of action. Now what is it about him that's familiar? Is he waist aware? Is he touching his waist a lot because he's, he's, he has a gun in there? Uh, is, is this happening? Does he have any mission focus and predatory looks? There's a whole litany of things you can go down, but it's just baseline plus anomaly equals decision. And 99 out of 100 times, it's observe it and carry on with your day, right? But every once in a while, I can pick up on something and then I just look for more cues. I start to peel back the layers of the onion. I pull on that string and see where it leads me to. And the idea is, and that's why we call it uh, human behavior pattern recognition and analysis. So the analysis part is where most people get it wrong. Human behavior pattern recognition, you are, you are you know, biologically primed for that, man. And it all goes back to your limbic system, right? Where every human being is actually inherently lazy. And your brain just wants to constantly conserve calories. That's why we set patterns. That's why you get up at the same time. That's why you take the same route to work. Once your brain finds a way of doing something that's successful, it's going to repeat that. And there, there has to be a reason for that change. Either where you said, you know what? I'm finally doing it today. I'm get I'm getting back into the gym. I'm going after it. I you know there, there there's got to be some catalyst, some reason why you change your behavior. And once you notice those changes in behavior, then you just can investigate it. Well, why is it that my wife is changing her behavior? Why is it that my buddy has started showing up late when he's always been on time? And and, and you know, like I said, 99 of 100 times, it's something very benign. It's not something serious. But but every once in a while, then you come across, hey, this guy's dealing with some serious issues. Uh, this guy's got a lot of mental health issues. He's showing up late. He's having performance issues at work. Okay. He's also said he recently uh, started, you know, bought another gun and is shooting a ton of rounds. And he told me he's bringing it to work now. It's out in his car. All of these things I'm just describing are exactly how every workplace shooter ha has has acted, and they're all laid out in front of us. We're just so focused on our phones and ourselves that that we miss these things, and and that's part of the reason the skill set needs to be taught now is that we're so reliant on technology uh, that, that we miss all these cues in our environment. Brian, I could probably have you on for like another hour. I mean, yeah, we, whatever you want. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing anything or I don't have any pressing. <laughs> One of the things that you guys do is that you uh, created a video webcast called uh, Left of Greg. And so I think that's one of the ways that our listeners can certainly learn some of these techniques. They're usually in three to five minute blurps where you and Greg get on there and talk about something like, for instance, the deception indicators or predatory yep. looks or stuff like that, like you mentioned here on the show. 
So yeah, we're we're doing a lot more of that. It's relatively new. Keep you know, please if you go watch it, you know, bear in mind with me. One, I'm not a tech expert. I do humans. Uh, two, we're just kind of getting it up and going. We've been, but but they're all what we do is we do the podcast like this where we'll try to bring up a topic. We'll have a few other people on. Sometimes most of the time it's just myself and Greg, and we just kind of bat it around for an hour. You know, right around that, and then. What I do is I'll just go back and pull out some of the clips from those from those podcasts from the video casts, and and I'll put those on and go, hey, here's a few things. Here's here's what predatory looks are. Here's I have one on there about hey how to tell if your you know significant other is cheating on you. And the spoiler alert is okay. This is how you look. This is not what this means. You got to take a step back and go, what is it about their behavior? And and that's that's what a comes down to with all of this. It's we don't teach people what to look for because it's going to be different for every context, every situation that you're in. We teach people how to look. Here's how you look in your environment. So if you're a school teacher, you're going to use that for this situation. If you're a SEAL, you're going to use it for this situation. If you're a police officer, you're going to use that in, in your line of work. So, so it actually doesn't matter as long as we go back to, hey, here's what human behavior is. Here's how we set patterns. Here's how you analyze them. Well, whatever you go forth and use that skill set for, it's going to get you better at it. We're going to have to have you back on and make sure that we get uh, Brionis back in there, too. George, uh, I know he he wished he was on this show and stuff, and I knew he was going to listen to this thing. He's going to go, damn, I wish I was there. Uh, (laughs) But uh, we'll we'll definitely have to get you back on. I think this is a a topic that we can hit from so many different angles Mm. and um, go deeper. And what Scott and I might do is actually try to come up with some different things that we can bring you back on to discuss in certain types of environments or settings or something. Yeah, and I I think it could be really cool and yeah and that and that's what i would ask if anyone is going to check out our the left of greg podcast look it up we're on all the podcast players or the left of greg youtube channel uh that's actually kind of what we need for that stuff right so greg and i'll go into it but but you know since we both teach it and greg developed these parts like i don't necessarily know what you want to hear right or what you want to explain so if people are on there please comment or you know send us questions and we'll 100% do it. And cause that's where, that's where I need the help with is hey, look, you got to take it from this perspective. It's, it's hard to be the host of the show and go over things with Greg when I already know what he's going to say and he knows what I'm going to say. So, so it, it hopefully you still find some value in all of it and you guys can listen and tell us what you think for sure. I think yeah. there's a huge potential in this brain in, in yeah. the corporate world. Yeah, and and that's uh, they're slowly coming around to it. Uh, you know, when we go in there, is so what's different is like you guys just said. You're like, hey man, I, I could talk to you about this forever. I could, we could go this, 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 and a lot of times in that corporate world, it's you have to almost be laser focused and be like, hey, I'm going to help you with these three things, right? It's harder for folks who've never had that type of job, never been in a dangerous situation, never had a job where they, where there was some type of threat level and they had to use just their natural ability. It's hard for them to almost see that, oh, these things can be prevented or, or, or they, you can, you can pick up on indicators like, no, these things just happen. It's like, no, no, nothing, nothing in this world just happens out of nowhere. Nothing. So there's always pre-event indicators. So, so yeah, I mean, obviously huge potential. And, and, and I, of course, think everyone can get of it. And we're getting more into that. We're actually 
try and focus more, uh, get out of the military law enforcement and do more of the, I mean, we still do plenty of that. We've actually have a, a, a sheriff's department we're working with now that we're going to probably do like a train the trainer thing with them. But, but, um, you know, it's, we want to focus more on the schools, uh, hospitals, uh, churches, all that stuff. Cause when you build that community awareness, especially at a church, they're already, you're already a community, right? You're already a family. So you've got however size it is. Well, well, if just a little bit of training for those people, uh, now you've just, we, we look at it as now, instead of having the three guys you have on security being total super badass Chuck Norris ninjas at human behavior profiling. Well, now you have a thousand people in your congregation that are little sensors in your community. And now we all speak the same language. We have that same thing that we're talking about and they all go, Hey, this is one of those issues. Those guys were talking about, Hey, let's bring this up before it becomes a problem and address it now. And that's, that's kind of what we want to do. And with schools are the, are the same thing. You know, we look, this is what we do. We do everything left of bang, man, everything pre-event that's, that's where it's at. You know, I've got a, a lot of schools are buying trauma kits and tourniquets to put in a, in a flipping high school, you know, I, I, I'm sorry. It's reactive, not proactive. Yeah. It is. Leading and, indicators. Man, you, yeah. yeah. It, and you ever have to patch someone up who's been injured? I have, man, it's kind of hard. And now you want a kid to do that? Like, yeah. c- come on, man. We, we hold ourselves to a higher standard. Let's, let's prevent this from ever taking place in the first place. Yeah. So. No, this is really good information. I think that people can use this, like you said, it's gotten so many different settings, you know, active shooter, identifying uh, potential threats in different situations. And again, it's not trying to make an individual in the private sector hypervigilant, but it is trying to make, right. uh, depending upon certain situations, like you are in Walmart and you start seeing something suspicious, at least now you know how to react. Um, so Brian, I, again, I appreciate you coming on the show and, uh, we'll have to get you back on and I wish you nothing the, uh, but the best with uh, you and Greg and left of Greg. And uh, I hope yeah. some of the listeners do uh, head over there and check it out. Appreciate it. Thank you guys both for having me on Robert. Thank you, Scott. Thanks a lot. And Scott, thank both of you guys for, for your service and the sacrifices you made. And, and, you know, uh, there's a lot of people out there that appreciate it. I always want to give a plug for carry the load. And the best thing about w- what I experienced and saw yesterday was, um, these, most of these people out there were not military. They were not law enforcement. They were volunteers from the community, from different companies that came out and we kind of bridged that gap to something they never experienced before and got to come out and pay it back to those of our, us and our American family that have sacrificed their lives. And they were completely blown away and they loved it. It was a great experience. So let's get people on board with that. You know, yeah. right back so, at you. Thanks for what you're right. doing. Thank you guys so much.